sandals I am unworthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. Now in your bulletins you see uh, that the title of my message is Bearing Witness to Christ. And actually I've changed it up since then because when you come to this, this text, it's also so tempting to think that it's all about John the Baptist. And it's all about his witness. And so I've prepared to give you uh, examples of how we ought to bear witness to Christ based on John's example. But if John, if John the Baptist were to see us talking about this text and saying that it points all about our witness and all about John the Baptist's witness, he'd smack us upside the head. Because his whole point was, it's not about me. It's about the Christ. And so this morning, I want us to see John's testimony. John's testimony about himself and John's testimony about the Christ. Who it is that he is proclaiming to these Jews who are expectant for the Messiah. First, look at John's testimony about himself. You can tell that John is reluctant to talk about himself. He doesn't want to talk about himself and he wouldn't have except these Jews come. They're sent from Jerusalem to, to question him. Who are you? They keep asking him these questions. It's almost as if he's being interrogated. Who are you? You see, he was making a big stir with his preaching. Proclaiming, repent, the kingdom is at hand. Baptizing people in the Jordan River. He's making a big stir. And so they came and they questioned him. The first question they posed to him basically is, are you the Christ? We know that because of his answer. The emphasis there is on John's denial of being the Christ. He's emphatic. Some versions say he confessed. He did not deny, but he confessed. Kind of repeating himself over and over. I am not the Christ. Then who are you? If you're not the Messiah, that's what Christ means, the Anointed One, the One whom Israel was waiting for to change the world, to, uh, to come down and to rescue His people, if you're not the Christ, then are you Elijah? See, back then they were expecting one in the spirit of Elijah. The Old Testament prophets said, when the end comes, when Messiah comes, Elijah will come first, preparing the way. But John doesn't see himself in this light. He says, no, I'm not Elijah. Now Jesus, in another Gospel, does say that John came in the spirit of Elijah, but they were expecting, the Jews were expecting, Elijah himself. John says, no, I'm not him. What about the prophet? Are you the prophet? The Jews were expecting also at the end times that one like the prophet Moses would arise and do great signs and wonders. He says, no. You can tell he doesn't want to talk about himself. In fact, when they finally get him to talk about himself, 
They say, well then who are you? We need an answer. What does John say in verse 23? I am the voice of one calling out in the desert, make straight, make straight the way for the Lord. I'm nobody. I'm nothing. I'm not even a person. I'm just a voice. I'm just the one getting ready for the one who is to come. I'm just a voice crying out, get ready. You see, in everything that He did, He pointed to Jesus. He pointed to Christ. He didn't want it to be about Him. He was a nobody proclaiming somebody. And all too often, I think we get it wrong in our testimonies. Notice that this calls, this says that this is John's testimony. And what does he do? Does he talk about himself? No, he keeps wanting to get away from himself. And all too often in our testimonies, when we call it my testimony, it's exactly that. It's a testimony about ourselves. We talk about what, what I used to be like. What, what I used to do. What, what changed in me. What I did. That's not John's testimony. He points to Christ. And we, when we share our testimony, we should be nothing more than like one of those neon signs in the shape of an arrow. Pointing away from ourselves to Christ. Look away from me. Don't look at me. Look at Christ. He's the one you need to look to. That's what John says. It's not me. It's Him. Well, they say, then why are you baptizing? If you're just a nobody... If you're just a voice crying out in the wilderness, what are you doing? Why are you baptizing them? And even then, he doesn't directly answer their question. Look what he says. I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me. The thongs or straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He doesn't directly answer their question. Basically, he's saying, you think I'm something? You think my baptism is something? I'm just baptizing with water. There's one coming who is so much greater than me. So much more highly exalted than me. I'm not even worthy to undo the strap of his sandal. Now that may not seem like a big deal to us today, but it was a big deal. If you were unstrapping someone's sandal, you were going to wash their feet. Now that might sound kind of icky to us today. But if it does to us today, even more so back then, they would walk trails for days and their feet would be filthy. It was the, the job of a slave, of a lowly servant to wash feet. John says, I'm not even worthy to be called a slave compared to this guy. He is so much greater, I am not worthy. You think I'm something? You think I'm causing a stir? You just wait. You haven't seen anything yet. He's coming. John is pointing... To Christ. His testimony about Himself, I'm nothing. Look to Him. And then, our text says that the next day, verse 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward Him. So that whole day, he doesn't give testimony of Christ. He just proclaims who He is not. He is not the Christ. He's not Elijah. He's not the prophet. But the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward Him and he says, look, or behold, Here's your answer. You're looking for the Christ. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What do you think of when you hear that term, the Lamb of God? This is the first words that we read here in the book of John 
John proclaiming, John the Baptist proclaiming about Jesus, the Messiah. He proclaims to them all, the Lamb of God. What comes to your mind when you think of the Lamb of God? You might think of Abraham, who was told to offer up his only son Isaac on the mountain which God would show him. And he's going up the mountain and his son Isaac, his only son, says, Father, I see we have the stuff for the fire. We have the wood. But what about the sacrifice? Where is the sacrifice? Do you remember what Abraham says? Son, the Lord will provide a lamb. He will provide a lamb. Or, Or maybe you think about the Passover lamb. As the people were in slavery in Egypt, God was raining down plague upon plague upon the Egyptians. And finally there was one, the greatest plague of all, the killing of the firstborn son of all of Egypt. And he gives, God gives instructions to his people. Slaughter a lamb. Slaughter a lamb and eat it that night and, and smear the blood of the lamb on the door. And the angel of death will pass by. And no evil will come upon you or your family. Or maybe you think of the suffering servant in Isaiah chapter 53. Like a lamb led to the slaughter. He was silent. Like a lamb led to the slaughter. Maybe we even think of the daily sacrifices. The day after day, year after year, animal sacrifices in the tabernacle that the Israelites performed. The blood would be spilled out over the altar. It would have been sprinkled over the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. And you would be right to think of all these things. Because... This shows us something so important about who Jesus is and why He came. Why the Messiah came. The Lamb of God. The sacrificial Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Now be careful there. Don't misunderstand that to mean that everyone's sin is paid for and therefore everyone goes to heaven. What John means by the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, it's sins paying for the sins of Jew and Gentile, of everyone and anyone who will come to faith in Jesus Christ, His death is sufficient. The Jews were seeking something a little different than what John proclaimed though. They were seeking a Messiah who would come with great military might, with great political force and take over the Roman government. Establish the kingdom of Israel once and for for all. Their hopes were placed on a Messiah who would come and establish God's kingdom on earth. They were confused, really, about what they were looking for. It was there in the Old Testament all along. And yet they were confused. They weren't seeking the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. And you know, some of us are still confused today about why Jesus came. About what He came for. There are TV preachers who proclaim that Jesus came so that you could have your best possible life of all time here on this earth. So that you could have a great parking lot space. So that you could raise great kids who go to a great college, who have great jobs. There are some who proclaim that Jesus came so that you can have prosperity and wealth. 
or even a better marriage. Ultimately, though, Jesus didn't come just so you could have a good life. Jesus didn't come just so you could be happy in the midst of this life. Why did Jesus come? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus came because your sin needed a payment. Your sin was so bad that it needed a God-man to come and die as a sacrifice for your penalty. To die as a substitute, taking your place. Have you realized that's how bad your sin is? It needed not just a man to die for you. Your sin needed a God-man to die in your place. Think often, because we don't spend much time reflecting on our own sins, we don't realize how bad our sin is. It happened for me not long ago. I read a book. And I was very convicted after reading the book. I explained it to someone else. Is it, you know how we talk about repentance is going throughout our, our house, the house of our heart, cleaning out all the, the rooms that are filled with uh, dirty sin. There's dirt all over the floor. There are cobwebs in the corners of the room. We, we imagine... Repentance like that. We're cleaning, we're cleaning up, we're inspecting everything. After I read this book, it was like I'd found an entire room that I didn't even know existed. And I can't help but wonder, how many more rooms are there? Our sin is much greater than we have imagined. And this is why the Savior came. This is why the Messiah came. Because we needed a payment for sin. We could never pay for our sin on our own. We could never do enough to earn God's favor, to clean up our own rooms. We needed someone to do it for us. And this is exactly what the Lamb of God has done. Paid the penalty for our sin. Taken our place. He was slaughtered, pierced for our transgressions. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is John's testimony. This is John's testimony of the Messiah. But look, there's more. He also says something else about the One who is to come. Now, he points to this sign. I didn't know Him, he says. But God said, the One who you see the Spirit descend and remain on, He's the One. He's the One who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Now, when John says he didn't know Him, he means that he didn't know he was the Messiah. Because of course he knew him. This was Jesus, his cousin. He knew who he was, but he did not know until he saw the sign of the Spirit descending and remaining upon him that this was the Messiah. Now the Spirit had come down many times before. The Spirit had come down upon saints and prophets in the Old Testament. You think of the Spirit filling Samson as he tore down the temple in one last effort. The Spirit came down. But here, in a unique way, the Spirit comes down and remains upon Jesus, signifying the fullness of the Spirit. He has the rivers of life flowing in Him. He has the fullness of God in Him. John's baptism was simply water baptism. You see, I mentioned this earlier. I simply baptized with water. But here he says there's one, one coming who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. You think my baptism is something? You haven't seen anything yet. Here's the one who baptizes with the Spirit. 
So John's baptism represented a repentance. He was calling the people to repentance. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Get ready. Turn away from your sins. And he baptized them representing cleansing. Representing the cleansing of sin. The turning away from sin. But Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Does it mean that He's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit? Now, we may think, and many think today, that baptism of the Holy Spirit means that the Spirit comes in power and you start speaking in tongues or some other grand evidence of the Spirit's working in you. You may think that the Holy Spirit, being baptized in the Holy Spirit, means that you have some sort of ecstatic experience. We even tend to associate it with excitement, right? Somebody says, man, it was really full of the Spirit today. We were really excited about what we were doing. I don't think that's what John is talking about. I don't think that's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit means. But we do see the fulfillment of this, John, uh, Jesus baptizing with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, where the, the flaming tongues come upon the apostles and they speak in different languages so that the gospel could be proclaimed to all the people there regardless of what language they spoke. But here, what I think John means, in contrast to simply baptizing with water and repentance is this, that he baptizes with the Spirit and actually gives new life. See, John's baptism couldn't do that. He couldn't give new life. Yeah, he could symbolize repentance. But his baptism could not make people obey. He could not make people actually live in obedience to God. See, every one of us has a problem. We need new life. We saw that last week. Jesus came to bring life to a dead world. And all of us, from the moment that we are born, we are spiritually dead. But Jesus, in His baptism with the Holy Spirit, gives new life. In the Old Testament, as I said, God put His Spirit on people. But in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, God indwells His people with the Spirit. He gives us who trust in Christ the Spirit permanently. He indwells us. He enables us to live for Him, to obey Him. He gives us new hearts. He gives us new life, as the prophets said. In those days, in, in the days to come, I will give you a new spirit. I will place my spirit within you. I will give you a new heart which desires to obey my commands. So often, we look at outward behavior and we think that's the ultimate problem. We do that often when we speak to other people about Jesus. We try to get people to straighten up their act before they come to Jesus. We, do, we try to point them about the things that they should and shouldn't do before they have a heart change. Don't, don't we recognize though that these are simply fruit problems? They're not root problems. These are problems with the fruit. When ultimately we need to get to the root of the issue. The problem with a tree that's not producing fruit is, is not with what's on the branches. It's because it's dead from the inside out. Consider, though, for a moment, your own fruit. The own fruit of your life. If you look at your outward behavior, what does it say about your root? 
What does it say about your heart? Is, is there a constant and consistent production of gossip in your life? Is there a consistent production of fruit, of complaining, of worry? What about of impatience or of anger? Sexual immorality? Lack of self-control? These are not just fruit problems. These are root problems. And it may be, there may be some of you here today who aren't believers. You've tried to clean up your own act. You've tried to clean up the rooms of your heart and you can't do it. You keep failing over and over and over again. And you keep trying harder and trying to be better and try to put these safeguards in your life, but you can't do it because you have never come to the Lamb of God who takes away your sins. You've never come to the Holy Spirit baptizer, Jesus, who gives new life. You have to come to Him. He's the one who gives life. You can't just treat the fruit. You have to treat the inside. You have to treat your heart. Come to Him in repentance. Have you come to the understanding that in and of yourself you are rotten to the core? Not that you are as bad as you possibly could be, but that everything you do is touched and tainted by sin. Even your good works, even your tears of repentance are tainted by sin. If you've never come to the Lamb of God, turn from your sins and trust Him. Rely upon His work on the cross. Rely upon His sacrifice for sinners and be saved and have new life. But you may be a Christian and you you think, I am a Christian. I have done that. I have trusted in the Lamb. I've trusted in Jesus. But I still find myself sinning. Why do I still struggle with sin if the root has been changed? If I've come to Jesus who has baptized me with His Holy Spirit, given me new life, why do I still continue to sin? We see in Romans 7 that Paul wrestled with that himself. Paul says in Romans 7, the very things that I desire to do, the very things that I want to do, I find myself that I can't do them. And the things that that I want to do, the things that I desire to do more than anything else to please God, I can't bring myself to do those things. And the answer is partly here. That sanctification, that means growth in maturity, is a process. Growth in maturity is a process. So there's justification which is God's once and for all proclamation because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross for you and through your faith in Jesus, I now declare you righteous in my sight. You are accepted forever. I will always see you as acceptable in my sight. That's justification. But sanctification is a gradual growth in Christian likeness. And often, instead of looking like this, it looks like this. One step forward, two steps back. Two steps forward, one step back. Gradually, God is growing us into His likeness. That's part of the question. 
That's part of the answer to the question, why do I still sin? There's another part. And it has to do with what I like to call means of grace. Ways that God has given for us to grow in holiness. Ways for us to receive His grace and grow more and more. And it may be that you as a Christian are not availing yourself to these means of grace. By means of grace, I mean the preaching and the hearing of God's Word, the prayers, Christian fellowship, gathering with other Christian believers that you might hear the Gospel Word, and in all these activities that we're doing. So we have small groups. That's an opportunity for you to gather with others and hear the Word of God. Gathering together with other believers throughout the week for prayer. Gathering together in this gathering to worship and to hear God's Word. These are all means of grace. And as we hear the Word with faith, it doesn't, doesn't work if you don't hear it with faith. It just falls on dead ears. As you hear the Word with faith, as you take the Lord's Supper with faith in Christ who died for you, as you see baptism and participate in that and see His death and resurrection in visible form, God is working in us, slowly producing fruit of righteousness. So what is evidence that you've been baptized by the Spirit? It's not some ecstatic experience speaking in tongues. I would look at Galatians chapter 5, where we see the fruit of the Spirit. Right, The fruit, what the Spirit produces is love. Christian, did you know that if you have new life in Christ, He is producing love in you. He's producing joy in you. Love, joy, peace, patience. You may be impatient. You may struggle with impatience. But because of His work in you, because of the Spirit's work in you, He is developing in you patience. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the fruit of the Spirit. And where you need to go to grow in these things is not to the latest Christian book. It's not trying harder, trying to be better, you need to come to the Lamb of God. Over and over again, this isn't just for unbelievers, this is for us believers. We need to go to the source of power. Come again to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who takes away your sin. Come again to the One who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Receive new life from Him. Be filled with the Spirit that you might walk in His ways. Let's ask the Lord for that. Let's ask the Lord to produce this fruit in us. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we confess that if we try to grow on our own, if we try to manufacture fruit on our own, we fail every time. But we pray that You would remind us of Your grace, which not only saves us, but grows us in holiness. We thank You, God, for sending Your Son, not simply to make us happy in this life, but to die for our sins and give us life. 
We thank You that even though we may not see it outwardly, that You are producing righteousness in us day by day as we hear and receive Your Word. (coughs) Encourage us now, Lord. Keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. That we might grow. That we might become like Him. Grow in us, Lord, these fruit, this fruit of the Spirit so that our neighbors would see our love and glorify You, so that our co-workers would see our joy and glorify You, so that others would see our patience, our self-control, our faithfulness, and glorify You, because You are worthy, Lord. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. You are worthy, Lord, and we praise You. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. I'll be available to pray with you here at the front if you're in need of prayer. If you need to pray right right where you are, then feel free to sit down and, and not sing. Just pray and respond to the Lord. Maybe you just need to worship Him and give thanks for His grace.